is at the foot of the mountain, and that's where the ministry is. You see, it's great to uh, come to church and to feel the fellowship and the, sing the songs, the great hymns, praise the Lord for the hymns, and to uh, fellowship together and preach the Word of God. It's great, but we can't stay here because there's a world that needs us out there. So we come in here and we, we get our... our uh, hearts spoken to, we get our hearts right with God, we draw close to God, uh, we let our, our, uh, uh, our light get built up so we can go out and let our light shine. And we are to be the salt and the light in the community here. So uh, it's great to get together in the house of the Lord. And listen, I hope, I hope you make it your practice to be in church when the doors are open. It is a blessed privilege do you realize that we are not immune even in this country? Things can change, folks. Let's never think that, oh, it'll never happen to us. Ah, oh, my friend, study history, Earth's history. You'll find out that country after country fell for that one. And, uh, you know, it could happen here. Oh, but this is Canada. It's the, you know, the cushiony uh, country of the world. Hey, listen, you know, uh, cushions wear out. You know that. And uh, we uh, never want to take for granted the, the blessed privilege. You say, there's another way. I say, how's that? You get into some horrible accident, you can't come to church. Imagine that. Right now, you can come to church every time you want. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. And I pray you do, and I hope you do. Come here, get built up, get the blessing so you can go and let your light shine so that you can hear what God would have for you, for your home even. Imagine if you were in some kind of uh, horrific accident, now you're not able to come to church anymore. Well, there's one way that you stop being able to come to church. How about that? I know a lot of people stop themselves from coming to church. Nice, beautiful weather like this. They hear the golf course calling them. The sound of that ball going in the cup, whatever. They hear the, the fish biting. They hear the waves lapping at the beach. Hmm? They hear the voice of Aunt Matilda saying, Come visit me this Sunday. I've baked brownies. They hear all these things and off they go. Ah, oh, listen folks, those things are all fine, but there's something finer. And that's the Lord. And the Lord is calling us. So it's a great thing to be together in the house of the Lord and take advantage of all the times that we're open. But we need to go out to that world and let our light shine. And in that school, in that office, in that factory, in that neighborhood, and sometimes even in that house, you need to let your light shine so that unsaved family and loved ones and friends can see there's a difference in you. And here in our story, we've got a dad who was desperate. And he ended up bringing his boy to Jesus, and he had probably the most memorable day of his whole life. And the story unfolds here. What a tragedy it is, really. This boy somehow found himself messed up with a demon. Um, I know that uh, there are few things in life as tragic uh, as when people become demonically possessed. Now, Dr. Richard Gallagher is a professional psychiatrist. He was trained at two of the most famous universities, Princeton and Yale, and he works in New York State at a private practice, and he's also on the f faculty 
at the Columbia University and New York Medical College, and he is one of the very few mental health care professionals today that believe people can be demonically possessed. Most in the health care, uh, they don't believe that, and they believe it's all something to do with uh, an imbalance of chemicals and you know things like that. Now, in his work, Gallagher has found, listen to this, he has found the majority of those whom he has asked to assess who think that they're demonically possessed are not. Uh, out of the many thousands of consultants and consultations that he's done over the years, uh, only about 100 were actually demonically possessed. Imagine that. You know, it shouldn't surprise us because a lot of people walk around and they think, they think they're going crazy. I think I'm going crazy. I must be going crazy. I must be going crazy. Have you ever known anyone to talk like that? Or have you yourself ever said those words? I think I'm going crazy. I'm going out of my mind. I think I'm going crazy. Well, truth is you're not. Because if you were, you'd be the last person to know about it. You wouldn't know you're going crazy, right? Yeah, that's how she works. In the movies, when they, uh, they're going to shoot someone from a distance, you know, the sniper, they, they always give you the bang. And then the guy goes, uh, and falls over, right? But in reality... The, uh, the bang comes after. You, you don't hear the bang. You, you, the bullets already hit you. And down you go. And then if you're still conscious, you'll hear the bang. Well, I'm saying this, that if you think you're going crazy, you're all right. You're still okay. Some Christians think that they've lost their salvation. And they're, they're just torn up about it. Well, listen, if you're really torn up about it, you haven't lost it. If you were unsaved, you wouldn't be torn up about it. Unsaved people are dead in their sins and trespasses. They're insensitive in many ways. They're not fearful that they've lost their salvation or something like that because they're dead in their sin and trespasses. But there's a lot of Christians who mistakenly think they've lost their salvation and it just eats them alive. And so likewise, there are people who think that they're demonically possessed, but they're not. But I think they're demonically oppressed. I think the devil can do a lot of damage from the outside of the building. He doesn't always have to be on the inside. From the outside, he can cause a lot of damage. That's very true. Now, the more severe cases of demonic possession seem to have paranormal features. And uh, there's typically, but not always, an obvious entry point based on the victim's choices. Now, these are Gallagher's words. Someone might turn to evil or turn to Satanism in a weak moment, or maybe bargain with the devil. Now, what all that means is that people who become uh, satanically, demonically possessed, at first, need to open themselves up to it. it just, you just don't wake up one morning and you're demonically possessed. You've got to kind of open yourself up to it. And that involves getting, it means getting involved with satanic things. And that can be something like Ouija boards, which are still for sale in the stores today. Seances, where people get together and they hold hands and they close their eyes and maybe a crystal ball in the center of the table. Satanic cults and other such things. So it would seem that people have to open themselves up to it. And demonic possession is very real. It's still in the world today. And we got a story here of how a dad... Uh, came to the rescue of his son by bringing his son to Jesus. Now, the story here starts with Jesus descending the mount 
uh, with his uh, three disciples, Peter, James, and John. There's the other nine disciples at the foot of the mountain. And they, they found a crowd of people had gathered around those nine disciples. The crowd seemed a bit nasty that day. They seemed to be criticizing the disciples over something. What was it? Well, in Matthew 17, we have the same story as we have here in Mark chapter 9. And... Um, uh, it says that the father brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples and they could not heal him. Here we have this verse in 18, I spake to thy disciples, they could not cast him out. And uh, we find now this is what it's all about. There's a group of uh, people in the New Testament in Jesus' day called the scribes. And the scribes were something, in my opinion only, something like the vultures coming in for the kill. You see, um, look at verse 14. It says here, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the, what's that next word? Scribes, questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, uh, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him, and he asked the, what's that word? scribes what question ye with them so the scribes were the professional recorders of the day they would write things down I know it doesn't sound like much to you today but back then not everyone could read not everyone could write and those who could read and write you know their their writing might look something like a doctor's prescription or something and no one else could read it and so the scribes took years of schooling to be able to uh, read and write and they were very educated very learned men but their main job was to write things down they were the recorders and uh, here they were the vultures I think because they were coming and they were criticizing and questioning and so on the disciples and who knows what kind of hard and tough and unreasonable questions they were asking them but maybe they wanted to uh, use this against them because the scribes were not um, fans of Jesus they did not uh, like Jesus. They were pretty much against him, as were the Pharisees, as were the Sadducees, the other two main religious groups in Jesus' day. Now, maybe the scribes were trying to write things down and trying to question the disciples and trying to use that against them. I remember many years ago, um, I, I knocked, my wife and I knocked on a, on a door, and it was a lady who's part of the Jehovah Witness um, cult. And so we got talking with her and asked if she would like to, us to come back and have a little Bible study with her. She said, yes, I'd like that. And so uh, we went back, I think it was later that night or the next night, and when we got there, she opened the door and we went in, and there was all these other people there. She'd invited half her cult into the house, and the leader of the cult was there. Oh boy, well now I was in the hot seat, right? And so for the next half hour, he took out a pad and paper and he started asking me these lawyer type of questions and he would write down his answer, or the answer. And so um, at one point, he started using all these things against me. Now you've boxed yourself into a corner, he would say to me, because you've said this and, and this and you're totally uh, uh, mixed up uh, with, with uh, what you're saying. And so I think the scribes were like that. They would uh, write things down and then come back and try and use them against you. And that's the situation here. Now the father could have gotten upset with all this. He'd been there maybe for a little while and the, the disciples, the nine disciples, who only just not too long before this, they were involved, they had been sent out with the 70. They had power to cast out demons. So they had some experience in this. Now when the father brought his demon-possessed boy, nothing seemed to work. They tried what used to work and doesn't work. 
And so they were frustrated. I'm sure the father was frustrated. The scribes were having a field day with this. Boy, oh boy, when we get back to the newspaper, boy, we're going to write up a story against these guys. And uh, it was just not a pretty scene. The father could have gotten discouraged and taken his son and gone back home, but not this dad because this dad was on a mission and when you're on a mission you tend to look past some of these discouraging things and you look past some of the obstacles this dad was on a mission to bring his messed up boy to Jesus folks I needn't tell you I needn't remind you we live in a messed up world this world is messed up and it's not getting unmessed it's getting more messed every day I'm amazed more mess I just read in the news today that yesterday down in New Jersey there was some wild shooting something like 20 people or more are injured and and the suspect has been uh, killed uh, over in another part of the world a guy went and blew himself up and took 14 with him uh, down in South America there was a, a, a big uh, stampede at uh, some kind of uh, Yahoo of a nightclub or something and a bunch of people are dead and this is repeated over and over and over and over in everyday news this isn't out of the ordinary this is common I mean it's not even news anymore ah we've heard that kind of stuff before we're not only getting messed up as a world but I'm afraid we're getting messed up as believers as well because we're becoming insensitive we're not we don't feel the shock of, of, of sin uh, like maybe we ought to we're looking at it and we're saying oh well I'll be out of here soon you know the Jesus is coming and we're taking just kind of a, a throw up your hands kind of a uh, we, we ought not to do that and I'm not suggesting that we go out and campaign and get letter, letter writing campaigns going and picket the government and I don't believe in any of that kind of stuff I believe that prayer is what's going to change things and that's the one thing we're not doing Yes, we need to go and we need to see what's going on in the world and we need to, to feel the, the godly shock of that. But then we need to go into our prayer closets and we need to pray for our messed up neighbors. We need to pray for our messed up nation. And oh my, we're messed up. We really are. We live in a heathenistic hotbed. We're in a financial meltdown. We have terrorism on the rise. Crime, crime, and more crime. Bloodshed, unrest, violence, and not only all that, but tornadoes, earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, tidal waves. Not only that, but diseases, lawsuits, high prices. It's a rat race is what it is. This is the world we live in. What's the answer? What's the, what's the remedy? Is it more education? No. Is it more legislation? No. Is it more recreation? Absolutely not. Is it demonstration? No. 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 But part of the answer, listen to this, part of the answer may be found in the hearts of Christian fathers. Imagine that. We could get at least part of, part of it right if we get our Christian fathers' hearts right. We can affect the world. I believe it. In our story here, our dad was probably very disappointed with the disciples that they could not heal his boy. Maybe he was disillusioned and discouraged. The crowd was turning here on them. 
And then Jesus came to the rescue. You see that? Suddenly, Dad comes to Jesus and basically says, I'm the reason for all this commotion. Look at verse 17 again. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Hooray, hooray, hooray for a dad who's willing to help his son. There are dads today who walk away from sons in trouble. Hooray for a dad who's willing to go the extra mile for his son. We might call this Father's Day at the foot of the mountain. Father's Day for a desperate dad, that's for sure. Now listen, dad, you may be here today and you may say, well, you know, none of this applies to me. My children seem all right. Everything seems fine. The dog's healthy. We keep our mortgage payments, you know, we keep our car payments and all of our uh, running costs seem to all be covered. No major sicknesses, <clears throat> nothing scary on the horizon. I don't feel that this message applies to me. Dad, your son, your daughter may not be in trouble today. And praise the Lord for it. But what guarantee have you on tomorrow? What guarantee have you that your son or daughter or all of your children aren't going to find themselves in a hotbed of trouble. One that they've brought on themselves or one that the devil tailor-made for them. What guarantee have you? So dad, before you dismiss the message, think about tomorrow. Because in all honesty, we have no guarantee. We have no guarantee. Everyone today who says, boy, am I in trouble. Yesterday said, boy, am I, things are really looking good. And then today... Boy, a difference 24 hours can make. Wow. I'd like to suggest that you may not be desperate for your kids today, but I suggest that you be desperate today in order to guard against tomorrow. If you've ever read the book of Job, Job was a godly daddy, and he had 10 children, and they were good kids. But as, an, as a good father, Job thought, you know... It could be that my children may have made a mistake and will incur, you know, the judgment of God on them. And so Job was always praying for them. And he always did sacrifice to God for them. You've got to read Job chapter 1 to really understand that. The real heart of a father there, this fellow Job. Now let's uh, take a, a minute or two and let's look at the, at the dad's responsibility. Let's take a look at dad's responsibility. Now, in spite of what some people today are saying, listen carefully, dad is still considered by God to be the head of the home. Okay? I don't make an apology for that and I don't tiptoe around that. I know that that is politically incorrect in this country. I know that. But I'm just talking according to what God has written. In God's estimation, dad is still considered the head of the home. And I know it. There are some dads who are lousy heads of the home. I know that. Their wives sure know it. <laughs> but it doesn't change the fact. Now, at your work, your boss may be a lousy boss. But is he still a boss? Yes or no? Yes, he is. Many, many years ago... I remember a man who said something to me. He used to work for McDonald's. You know, the French fries and so on. He used to work for McDonald's. And he said that in their, in their staff meetings, they'd get together and the manager would say to his staff, Now staff, guys, listen up. I want you to know something. The customer is not always right. But... The customer is always the customer. Imagine going into a store with a pocket full of money 
ready to buy a product. And the salesperson gives you lip. The salesperson gives you attitude. The salesperson cuts you down a little bit. How anxious are you now to purchase from that store? You'd probably say, you know, buddy, you just blew a sale. And you'd turn and walk out the door and down the street to the competitor, even if the price was more. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. It's still, in God's sight, dad is still ahead of the home. Whether he's a good dad or we wish he were a good dad. Now, unfortunately, some, some men abuse the responsibility. They oppress their wife. They oppress their children. Shame on them. A dad's responsibility is to provide the right kind of home for his children. That is a dad's responsibility, is to provide the right kind of home for his children. However, there are too many homes that are far, far from what they ought to be. There's beer sitting in the refrigerator where the milk should be. There's dirty magazines on the table where the Bible should be. The TV is belching out vulgarity and brutality where the family fellowship and family fun should be. In some homes, dad has left and moved away. Dad, don't forsake your family. I know you're tempted to. Everyone's tempted to run. It doesn't matter what you're doing. At some point, you're tempted to quit. In the ministry now for 37 years, I've been tempted to quit so many times. In my first year, back in 1981 till 1982, every single Monday, I'd say to my wife, I'm quitting. I quit. I'm out of this. And uh, between God and my wife, I'm in the ministry today. <laughs> yeah, she, she's a good encouragement, she is. Uh, a young man who experienced his father walking out wrote this poem. He said, Most homes like mine have four. Ours has only three. Since dad went away, there's just mom and sis and me. You see, dad's sick from drinking, and this I don't understand. Once he was just like others, a handsome, fine young man. Mom tells us to pray a lot, and dad will be all right. But I wonder if she really believes it, because I hear her cry at night. No matter what my father has done, he's the only dad for me. And I pray he will change his life for mom and sis and me. I pray there are no other homes where there are only three, and no one is quite so lonely as mom and sis and me. A dad's responsibility is to provide the right kind of home for his children. But a dad also has the responsibility of providing the right kind of church for his children. A church where the Bible is taught and preached. A church where souls are won to Christ and missionaries are supported. A church where standards for life come from the Bible, not from the world. A church where dad himself takes a part in serving the Lord. <clears throat> Did you catch that one? A church where dad takes a part in serving the Lord. I believe that a child, a son, a daughter, must see with their own eyes that dad is serving the Lord in a right kind of church. Now the dad in our story brought his boy to Jesus. And uh, children are often brought to Jesus by godly dads. I'll say it again. Sons and daughters are often brought to Jesus by godly fathers. Dad, are you living a godly life? I'm not asking you if you're...
I'm not asking you if you've ever sinned. I'm asking you if you're living a godly life. Every man, woman, young person trips up at some point. We're sinners by birth and by choice, unfortunately. And sin has kind of done a, a, a hatchet job on our lives. And we make mistakes. We do, because we're human. But what I'm asking is, are you hitting more home runs than striking out? Do you strike out every time you get up to bat? Do you, do you at least get the first base? Dad, are you trying? Are you living a godly life? Now, let's take a look at the condition of the, the boy here, the lad, the son. This is point number two, if you're taking notes. The boy was messed up. <laughs> Underline that. The boy was messed up. And uh, I believe there are some fine parents in the world today who refuse to believe that their child, their son or their daughter could ever do anything wrong. Oh, that would be someone else's son you're talking about. That would be the neighbor's daughter. Oh, that's not my child. My child would never do such a thing. No, I know my kid. Sure, I was there when they were born. I changed their diapers and fed them. I know this kid. From the, the ground up, my kid would never say such a thing. My boy, my girl would never get involved with such a thing. What's that? No, not my son. He doesn't have that habit. My daughter? No, no, no. You're talking about someone else. And there are parents like that. They refuse to believe the scriptures that say all have sinned. All we like sheep have gone astray. They refuse to believe that. They veneer and they varnish their kids to perfection. You know, I made that mistake. Back when we were in Ontario, we lived on a piece of, we owned a little bit of a farmland, very small, two acres there. And the, uh, the neighboring farmer uh, came to me once and said, uh, your, your kids are playing with matches in my barn. I said, no, it wouldn't be my kids. Yeah, I said that. Guess whose kids they were? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you whose kids they were, but it wasn't the farmer's kids. It's very, very true that uh, this boy was messed up, and it's very, very true that there's a lot of kids messed up. And we overlook it. We say, oh, well, that's just, you know, just a little phase. It's, it's nothing serious. They're just kind of sowing their wild oats. They're just kind of going astray a little bit. You know, it's nothing at all. Don't worry about it. No, it's something to worry about. If you're out in the ocean or out in the lake and you've got one little hole in your boat, you've got something to consider, right? How big a hole do you need in order to sink? Anyhow, huh? How big a hole? Just don't plug it find out. Ah, it's not a big hole. It's only a half inch. Don't worry about it. No, I'd worry about it. <laughs> if I were you, I'd worry about that. Yeah. Does it have to be like a foot big hole? No. A little small hole. You got a nice balloon. How big a pin do you need to pop that? And boys are messed up. Girls are messed up because we're all messed up. Now this dad knew his lad was messed up and he did not try to hide it. It says in Proverbs, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Look at verse 17 again. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. 
Now that's pretty pathetic, isn't it? Mom, dad, that'd be horrible if that was your son. Hmm? Wouldn't that be? Whether your son is two years old or whether your son is 42 years old, that would be pretty hard to take, wouldn't it? If that were your child going through this. When it says pineth away, it makes you think of, of maybe the, the son was a, a bit younger and maybe his, his bodily form, he was languishing. But the idea of pineth means pain. Pain. The kid was in pain. What this demon was doing to him is something that you and I will probably never understand this side of glory. But that demon inside that boy was causing this kid so much agony and pain and suffering and gnashing and foaming and who knows, maybe there was even deep guttural voices coming out of the little boy's mouth. But this boy was messed up. How he got that way, we're not sure, except we know a couple of principles. You've got to kind of expose yourself to this in order to, to, to become demon-possessed. Now look at verse 22 here. He says, oft times that have cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now that's the kind of home life this father and his wife had with this boy. And they had to watch him constantly because if they took their eyes off him for a minute, the demon inside the boy could maybe have the boy run headlong and try and jump into a fire or, or jump into the lake and try and drown himself or who knows what else they've had to go through. Chances are you and I have never experienced anything like that this father here has had to experience and go through. Maybe you've had a tough time with, with one or more of your kids, but I guarantee that that's a picnic compared to what this man had to put up with and the trauma. And can you imagine the shame in the neighborhood? Wow. Oh, stay away from that family. Oh, keep your kids away from that boy. Now, listen, I can understand if there's a demonically possessed boy, you'd want to keep your kids back, right? But still, there's the shame of it for both the husband and the wife, for mom and dad. Not good, folks, not good. But look in verse 22. He says, But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then verse 19, you see, verse 19 Jesus speaking, he answereth him and saith, How, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Look at the next words. Bring him unto me. Now, Dad, that is your number one responsibility with your son and with your daughter, with all your kids, is to bring them to Jesus. You know what one of the big problems was, at least anyhow, years ago, with um, parents and children in Sunday school, is parents would send their children to Sunday school. If I were to ask you, do you believe that Sunday school would have a positive effect on your children? Chances are you'd say to me, yes. Do you believe that putting your children in a godly atmosphere with a godly teacher, that the teacher could teach them godly things, do you think that would be good or bad for your child? You would probably say to me, no, pastor, I think that would be something good. All right, then you have these parents who send their kids to Sunday school. That's a mistake. The mistake is with the first word. Send. We should change that. We should change that to the word what? Bring. Bring your children to Sunday school. Bring your children to Sunday school. Now, those of you that have children, did you bring them to Sunday school? Say, oh, uh, what time does Sunday school begin? It's not 10.30. 
Sunday school around here begins at 10 o'clock. And oftentimes I have Sunday school teachers that say to me, Pastor, we have children that come in like at 10.30 and half the lesson's over. Over half the lesson's gone. And sometimes I have to back up and start to tell them what they missed. I know. I, 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 can't, I can't force anyone to do anything. All I can do is let you know what the problem is. You'll have to fix it. Um, if Sunday school is good for the, the children, shouldn't we bring them to Sunday school? It's only my opinion, folks. It doesn't matter much, but I think there's something there. And, you know, if good things are happening in God's house, let's be in God's house. Let's be in God's house. If you've got suggestions on how we can do what we're doing better, by all means, tell us. And let us know. Tell us how we can improve on things. But we've got a ministry here called Sunday School, and we've got godly men and women who dedicate their their ministries to the Lord serving in Sunday school. I just want you to know about that. But a father's number one responsibility is to bring his children to Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says dads are to bring up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Now that's a godly healthy fear. And father, listen to me, you will not do that un unless you put a ton of prayer alone with God. You cannot bring up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You cannot do it properly unless you spend time alone with God. Kids, I want you to grow up, grow up godly and I want you to love Jesus and, and I want you to do everything right. But Dad, you don't go to Sunday school. But Dad, I never see you reading your Bible. But Dad, you never take time for prayer. Uh, well, um, uh, don't do as I do. Uh, do as I say. And that doesn't cut it, does it? Dad needs to set the example. Dad, i got a suggestion for you. Go in your bedroom today or tomorrow or sometime when the kids are around the house. Get on your knees, bedside or at the chair or something, and start praying to Jesus for your family and leave your bedroom door open so your kids can accidentally see you on your knees with Jesus they'll grow up with that image in their head. I remember seeing my dad on his knees with Jesus. Man, that'll never leave him. Just a suggestion, Dad. Just a thought. Take it or leave it. But I believe with all my heart that we need to spend a ton of prayer alone with Jesus if we're going to see our kids through a miserable world. This is not the same world as it was 20 years ago. Boy, have we changed, haven't we? Man a living. We need a world full of good dads right now because dads, your kids need you. Now finally, let's finish up here. We've looked at the dad. We've looked at his lad. Let's look and see that demons give away to Christ's command. They do. Now we're in chapter 9 and please look at verse 21. So he, Jesus, asked his father, how long is, is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And so who knows, maybe the, the boy was a teenager. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Wow. And so we don't know all of the reasons why this boy got demon-possessed, but it's quite possible, listen to this, it's possible that dad got too busy making money, too busy working, 
Not enough time at home. Not enough time with his boy. And his boy, children left alone get themselves into trouble. Have you noticed that? Parents, have you noticed that when it's real quiet in the house, that's when you go looking for your kids? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. See what's happening. And unfortunately, there's just too many dads spending not enough time at home with the kids. Well, that's what I married a woman for. Let her, you know, do all that. That's a mother's responsibility. Boy, have you got nothing coming. If you think that it's up to your wife to raise the kids, you, dad, Ephesians chapter 6, and ye fathers, provoke not your children, you know, to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Dad, it is your responsibility. You, look in the mirror. That's the guy who's going to answer to God. And if you are not doing your job, you are going to answer to God for it. And if your family one day leaves you, you will have reaped what you've sown. In Proverbs chapter 11, it says, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. There you go. That's what you'll inherit. You keep troubling and troubling. And one way you trouble is by not being there to help. Because Satan is against the family. And he will try to destroy the family. And if you're out of the home too much, you're going to come home one day and find the family's gone. Your kids will grow up and say, Boy, am I glad I'm out of here. And who knows what else will happen. I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. I just want you to know the reality of it. Okay? I just want you to know that it's possible these things could happen. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So anyhow, we don't know all of the reasons here, but look here at verse 23. Um, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe. Now watch this. In verse 22, the man, the father, said to Jesus, If thou canst do anything. And Jesus answered him, Well, if thou canst believe are possible to him that believeth. Take your pencil and underline those words, would you please? All things are possible to him that believeth. And so the man was asking Jesus, can you do anything? And Jesus was saying, can you believe? All things are possible. Verse 24, and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, you see, he was a desperate man, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Lurking within every one of us is elements of belief and elements of unbelief. Oh, one side of us says, I believe, and the other side of us says, Oh, I wish I could believe. I'm so confident. Oh, I'm so doubtful. It's just like having the angel and the little devil, right? One on each shoulder. And that's kind of common in our lives. The devil, I think, makes sure of it here. And so we come now to verse 25. When Jesus saw the people running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. Uh, and uh, he was as one dead. That means the, the boy fell over there. In, in so much that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Amen. Wow. Now this turned out to be a great Father's Day for a very desperate man. A desperate dad indeed. I'm reminded in Scripture of another desperate father. He was the father of a prodigal son. You remember that story? Oh, how the father's heart must have broken. See, it's not always the dad that messes up. Sometimes the son messes up. 
And in this case, boy, did that son mess up. And he took money and he went off to Sodom and Gomorrah, just about Sin City, and he wasted it all there. And if you've got a pocket full of money and you're looking to have some fun, you'll go through that so fast, you'll waste it all, it'll be gone. That's what happened to the young boy. And then a famine came, and the only work he could get was feeding hogs or pigs, which is no work for a Jewish boy. And finally one day he says, what am I doing? What am I doing? And he finally came to himself and he said, I'm so foolish. Even the servants in my father's house have plenty to eat. And here I'm the son and I'm starving. And that chunk of swill meant for the pig. Boy, that's looking appetizing. Oh! And he said, I will arise. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rise. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Anyhow, his dad saw him coming from afar off. How did his dad do that? It's because his dad was looking for him. Every day he'd look at the horizon. And finally he saw this ragged, barefooted vagabond. And he said to himself, you know... I recognize the way that, that one is walking. He's about the right size. That's my son! And he ran toward his son. And he put his arms around him and kissed him. You remember the son started making the apology and saying, Father, I've, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy. And he, Father calls for the servant to, to bring out a robe for him and shoes and a ring for his finger. And he says, Kill the fatted calf. We're going to party tonight. And he said, My son, which was lost, is now found. My son, which was dead, is now back alive. And that's how the father felt. Do you have a heavenly father? Have you been walking as close with the heavenly father as you should have been? You know, years can slip by before you wake up and realize, what am I doing? Here I'm trying to provide my kids with everything that I never had, and yet it seems the thing that they really needed me, I never gave them. I gave them money. I gave them a nice house to live in. I gave them an education and food. And, and all that's good. But what they needed most was me. And I was never there for them. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you have felt that way that your dad wasn't there for you. He was just off doing other things. One of the great evangelists of the 1900s was named Billy Sunday. And the man was powerful in the pulpit. He was an evangelist and traveled across America. He was in Canada. He traveled the world. It's estimated he may have led a million souls to Christ. And he preached against alcohol. It was called booze. And he would thunder against alcohol. And he'd go into a city and, the, and his preaching was so powerful that all of the taverns and the saloons went out of business. They'd have to close up because men got saved and they stopped drinking that stuff. And there's no more business for the saloon keeper. And they'd, they'd close up. But not in Chicago. And they wrote a song and they said, Chicago, Chicago. It's my kind of town. And they said, the town that Billy Sunday couldn't close down. That's how wicked Chicago was. But Billy Sunday... He was really a great man of God. But his own boys, growing up, and Dad wasn't there. He was off saving the world. And this is sad. His own boys got into alcohol and became alcoholics. His own sons. And on his deathbed, Billy Sunday said to his wife, Ma, 
We led the world to Christ and we let our own boys go to hell. Dad, how about it? When will we wake up and realize what our children really need is us? You will never grow out of a job, Dad. Never. For as long as you are alive, your children are going to need a dad. Now, maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've cut ties and burned bridges and done things you regret. You know, with God's help, you can fix that. It may take you time, but it will work if you will first come to Jesus yourself. And then in prayer every day, start praying for your children. Bring your children to Jesus, Dad. That's what you need to do. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to have an invitation. And Dad, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Are you man enough to come to Jesus today on an invitation and pray for your family?